Section 4 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649, by John Winthrop. Section 4, 1633. January 1st. Mr. Edward Winslow, chosen governor of Plymouth, Mr. Bradford having been governor about ten years, and now by importunity got off. Footnote. High office was a burden, rather than an honor, fines being sometimes extracted of those who refused to serve. End footnote. Ninth. Mr. Oliver, a right godly man, an elder of the Church of Boston, having three or four of his sons, all very young, cutting down wood upon the neck, one of them, being about fifteen years old, had his brains beaten out with the fall of a tree which he had felled. The good old father, having the news of it in as fearful a manner as might be by another boy, his brother, called his wife, being also a very godly woman, and went to prayer and bear it with much patience and honor. Seventeenth, the governor, having intelligence from the east that the French had bought the Scottish plantation near Cape Sable, and that the fort and all the ammunition were delivered to them, and that the cardinal, footnote, Richelieu, he is here referred to, who is guiding the interests of France. The French were now at Port Royal. Of the friction among themselves and the anxieties with which they filled their English neighbors, the journal has much to say. See also Transactions of the Royal Historical Society, New Series, 1695, for details in the Admiralty Records. In footnote, having the managing thereof, had sent some companies already, and preparations was made to send many more the next year, and diverse priests and Jesuits among them, called the assistants to Boston, and the ministers and captains, and some other chief men, to advise what was fit to be done for our safety, in regard the French were like to prove ill neighbors, being papists, at which meeting it was agreed that a plantation and a fort should forthwith be begun at Natascot, partly to be some block in an enemy's way, though it could not bar his entrance, and especially to prevent an enemy from taking that passage from us, and also that the fort begun at Boston should be finished. Also that a plantation should be begun at Agawam, being the best place in the land for tillage and cattle, lest an enemy, finding it void, should possess and take it from us. The governor's son, being one of the assistants, was to undertake this, and to take no more out of the bay than twelve men, the rest to be supplied at the coming of the next ships. A maidservant of Mr. Skelton at Salem, going towards Sagus, was lost seven days, and at length came home to Salem. All that time she was in the woods, having no kind of food, the snow being very deep, and as cold as at any time that winter. She was so frozen into the snow some mornings, as she was one hour before she could get up, yet she soon recovered and did well through the Lord's wonderful providence. About the beginning of this month of January the pinnaces, which went after the pirates, returned, the cold being so great as they could not pursue them, but in their return they hanged up at Richmond's Isle an Indian, one Blackwell, one of those who had there murdered Walter Bagnall. Three of the pirates' company ran from them and came home. February 21st. The governor and four of the assistants, with three of the ministers and others, about twenty-six in all, went in three boats to view Natascot, the wind-west fair weather. But the wind arose at northwest so strong and extreme cold that they were kept there two nights, being forced to lodge upon the ground in an open cottage upon a little old straw which they pulled from the thatch. Their victuals also grew short, so that as they were forced to eat mussels, yet they were very mean, and came all home safe the third day after, through the Lord's special providence. Upon view of the place it was agreed by all that to build a fort there would be of too great charge and of little use, whereupon the planting of that place was deferred. 
22nd or thereabouts. The ship William, Mr. Trevor, master, arrived at Plymouth with some passengers and goods for the Massachusetts Bay, but she came to set up a fishing at Skidawait, and so to go to trade at Hudson's River. By this ship we had intelligence from our friends in England that Sir Ferdinando Gorges, footnote, Sir Ferdinando Gorges, to do his rivals harm, here employs men driven out of Massachusetts, in footnote, and Captain Mason, upon the instigation of Sir Christopher Gardner, Morton, and Ratcliffe, had preferred a petition to the Lords of the Privy Council against us, charging us with many false accusations. But, through the Lord's good providence and the care of our friends in England, especially Emmanuel Downing, who had married the governor's sister, and the good testimony given on our behalf by one Captain Wigan, who dwelt at Pascataquac and had been diverse times among us, their malicious practice took not effect. The principal matter that they had against us was the letters of some indiscreet persons among us, who had written against the church government in England, etc., which had been intercepted by occasion of the death of Captain Levitt, who carried them and died at sea. 26. Two little girls of the governor's family were sitting under a great heap of logs, plucking off birds, and the wind driving the feathers into the house, the governor's wife caused them to remove away. They were no sooner gone, but the whole heap of logs fell down in the place, and had crushed them to death if the Lord in his special providence had not delivered them. March. The governor's son, John Winthrop, went with twelve more to begin a plantation at Egawam, after called Ipswich. One John Eddy, a godly man of Watertown congregation, fell distracted, and getting out one evening could not be found, but eight days after he came again of himself. He had kept his strength and color, yet had eaten nothing, as must needs be conceived, all the time. He recovered his understanding again in good measure and lived very orderly, but would, now and then, be a little distempered. April 10th. Here arrived Mr. Hodges, one of Mr. Pierce's mates. He came from Virginia in a shallop, and brought news that Mr. Pierce's ship was cast away upon a shoal four miles from Fecile, ten leagues to the north of the mouth of Virginia's Bay. Footnote. Chesapeake Bay. In footnote. November 2nd, about five in the morning, the wind southwest through the negligence of one of his mates, who had the watch, and kept not his lead as he was exhorted. They had a shallop and their ship's boat aboard. All that went into the shallop came safe on shore, but the ship's boat was sunk by the ship's side, and blank men drowned in her, and ten of them were taken up alive into the shallop. There were in the ship twenty-eight seamen and ten passengers. Of these were drowned seven seamen and five passengers, and all the goods were lost except one hogshead of beaver, and most of the letters were saved, and some of the other small things, which were driven on shore the next day when the ship was broken in pieces. There were nine days in much distress before they found any English. Plymouth men lost four hogshead, nine hundred pounds of beaver, and two hundred otter skins. The governor of Massachusetts lost, in beaver and fish, which he sent to Virginia, etc., near a hundred pounds. Many others lost beaver and Mr. Humphrey fish. May. The William and Jane, Mr. Burdock master, arrived with thirty passengers and ten cows or more. She came in six weeks from London. The Mary and Jane arrived, Mr. Rose master. She came from London in seven weeks and brought one hundred and ninety-six passengers. Only two children died. Mr. Coddington, one of the assistants, and his wife came in her. In her return, she was cast away upon Isle Sable, but blank men were saved. By these ships we understood that Sir Christopher Gardner and Thomas Morton and Philip Ratcliffe, who had been punished here for their misdemeanors, had petitioned to the king and council against us, being set on by Fur Serdinano Gorges and Captain Mason, who had begun a plantation at Pascataquac, and aimed at the general government of New England for their agent there, Captain Neal. 
The petition was of many sheets of paper and contained many false accusations and among some truths misrepeated, accusing us to intend rebellion, to have cast off our allegiance, and to be wholly separate from the church and laws of England, that our ministers and people did continually rail against the state, church, and bishops there, etc., upon which such of our company as were then in England, viz. Sir Richard Saltonstall, Mr. Humphrey, and Mr. Cradock, were called before a committee of the council, to whom they delivered in an answer in writing, upon reading whereof it pleased the Lord, our gracious God and protector, so to work with the lords, and after with the king's majesty, when the whole matter was reported to him by Sir Thomas German of the council. But not by the committee, who yet had been present at the three days of hearing, and spake much in the commendation of the governor, both to the lords and after to his majesty, that he said he would have them severely punished who did abuse his governor in the plantation, that the defendants were dismissed with a favorable order for their encouragement, being assured from some of the council that his majesty did not intend to impose the ceremonies of the Church of England upon us, for that it was considered that it was a freedom from such things that made people come over to us, and it was credibly informed the council that this country would in time be very beneficial to England, for mass, cordage, etc., if the sound should be debarred. Footnote i.e. at times when the importation of naval stores from the baltic was interrupted by the closing of the sound then a danish strait in footnote we sent forth a pinnace after the pirate bull but after she had been forth two months she came home having not found him after we heard he was gone to the french a dutch pink arrived which had been to the southward a trading june second captain stone arrived with a small ship with cows and some salt the governor of Plymouth sent Captain Standish to prosecute against him for piracy. The cause was, being at the Dutch plantation, footnote, Manhattan, see Bradford in the series, pages 310, 311, in footnote, were a pinnace of Plymouth coming, and Captain Stone and the Dutch governor having been drinking together, Captain Stone, upon pretense that those of Plymouth had reproached them of Virginia from whence he came, seized upon their pinnace, with the governor's consent, and offered to carry her away, but the Dutchman rescued her and the next day the governor and captain stone entreated the master of the pinnace being one of the council of plymouth to pass it by which he promised by a solemn instruction under his hand yet upon their earnest prosecution at court we bound over captain stone with two sureties to appear in the admiralty court in england etc but after those of plymouth being persuaded that it would turn to their reproach and that it could be no piracy with their consent we withdrew the recognizance fifteenth mr graves in the ship elizabeth bonadventure from yarmouth arrived with ninety-five passengers and thirty-four dutch sheep and two mares they came from yarmouth in six weeks lost not one person but above forty sheep nineteenth a day of thanksgiving was kept in all the congregation for our delivery from the plots of our enemies and for the safe arrival of our friends etc july second at a court it was agreed that the governor john winthrop should have towards his charges this year a hundred fifty pounds and the money which he had dispersed in public business as officers wages etc being between two and three hundred pounds should be forthwith paid twelfth mr edward winslow governor of plymouth and mr bradford came into the bay and went away the eighteenth they came partly to confer about joining in a trade to connecticut for beaver and hemp there was a motion to set up a trading-house there to prevent the dutch who were about to build one but in regard the place was not fit for plantation there being three or four thousand warlike indians and the river not to be gone into but by small pinnaces having a bar affording but six feet at high water and for that no vessels can get in for seven months in the year partly by reason of the ice and then the violent stream etc we thought not fit to meddle with it footnote 
but see Bradford in the series, page 300, in footnote. 24th, a ship arrived from Weymouth with about 80 passengers and 12 kine who sat down at Dorchester. They were 12 weeks coming, being forced into the western islands by a leak where they stayed three weeks and were very courteously used by the Portugals. But the extremity of the heat there and the continual rain brought sickness upon them, so as blank died. Much sickness at Plymouth, and above twenty died of pestilent fevers. Mr. Graves returned and carried a freight of fish from Hints and Plymouth. By him the governors and assistants sent an answer to the petition of Sir Christopher Gardiner, and withal a certificate from the old planters concerning the carriage of affairs, etc. August 6th. Two men-servants, to one Moody, of Roxbury, returning in a boat from the windmill, struck upon the oyster bank. They went out to gather oysters, and not making fast their boat, when the flood came it floated away, and they were both drowned, although they might have waded out on either side, but it was an evident judgment of God upon them, for they were wicked persons. One of them, a little before, being reproved for his lewdness, and put in mind of hell, answered that if hell were ten times hotter, he had rather be there than he would serve his master, etc. The occasion was, because he had bound himself for diverse years, and saw that, if he had been at liberty, he might have had greater wages, though otherwise his master used him very well. Footnote. The condition of indentured servants was often scarcely better than that of slaves. The man may well have had reason to be unhappy. In footnote. Mr. Graves returned. He carried between five and six thousand weight of beaver and about thirty passengers. Captain Walter Neal of Pascataquac and some eight of his company went with him. He had been in the bay above ten days, and came not all that time to see the governor. Being persuaded by diverse of his friends, his answer was, that he was not well entertained the first time he came hither, and besides, he had some letters opened in the bay, ergo, except he were invited, he would not go see him. The thirteenth day he wrote to the governor to excuse his not coming to see him upon the same reasons. The governor returned him an answer that his entertainment was such as time and place could afford, being at their first coming, before their house, etc., and retorted the discourtesy upon him, in that he would thrust himself with such a company. He had five or six gentlemen with him, upon a stranger's entertainment, at such an unseasonable time, and having no need to do so, and for his letters he protested his innocency, as he might well, for the letters were opened before they came into the bay, and so concluded courteously, yet with plain demonstration of his air. And indeed, if the governor should have invited him, standing upon these terms, he had blemished his reputation." There is no mention made before of the answer, which was returned to Sir Christopher Gardiner, his accusations, to which the governor and all the assistants subscribed, only the deputy refused. He made three exceptions. One, for that we termed the bishops reverend bishops, which was only in repeating the accuser's words. Two, for that we professed to believe all the articles of the Christian faith according to the scriptures and the common received tenets of the churches of England. This he refused because we differed from them in matter of discipline, and about the meaning of Christ's ascension into hell. Yet the faithful in England, whom we account the churches, expounded as we do, and not of a local descent, as some of the bishops do. 3. For that we gave the king the title of sacred majesty, which is the most proper title of princes, being the Lord's anointed, and the word a mere civil word, never applied in scripture to any divine thing, but sanctus used always. Mr. Knox called the Queen of Scotland by the same title. Yet by no reasons could he be drawn to yield to these things, although they were allowed by diverse of the ministers and the chief of Plymouth. Footnote. Dudley's ultra-Puritanism appears here. In footnote. There was great scarcity of corn by reason of the spoil our hogs had made at harvest, and the great quantity they had even in the winter, there being no acorns, 
yet people lived well with fish and the fruit of their gardens. September 4th. The Griffin, a ship of 300 tons, arrived, having been eight weeks from the Downs. This ship was brought in by John Gallup a new way by Lovell's Island at low water, now called Griffin's Gap. She brought about 200 passengers, having lost some four, whereof one was drowned two days before as he was casting forth a line to take mackerel. In the same ship came Mr. Cotton. Footnote. The arrival of John Cotton in New England almost marks an epoch. This man, perhaps the most influential of the nonconformist ministers in Old or New England, was born in Derby in 1584. At Cambridge, a brilliant scholar, he became fellow and dean out of Emmanuel College and soon after rector of St. Boltoff's Church in Boston, Lincolnshire, a conspicuous post. Here for many years he so wrought that he quite transformed the town, molded opinion throughout the shire, and became widely known through England. His nonconformity was marked and brought upon him displacement. In these days his spirit was liberal. Like John Robinson, he seems to have held that more light yet might be expected to break out from God's word, which believers must be ready to accept, and it may be surmised that had he remained in England he would have adopted this free spirit of the independence. When Winthrop sailed in 1630, John Cotton preached at Southampton a farewell sermon as John Robinson did ten years before for the pilgrims at Delfshaven. Cotton's decision to follow to America was momentous for the colony. See his reasons for immigrating to New England in the Hutchinson Papers, edition 1865, volume 1, page 60. To his death in 1652, he was the dominant figure in church and state, the ultimate appeal in matters civil and religious, the shaper as much as Winthrop of the New England world, and the initiator of policies and institutions that have persisted to the present time. He was not always consistent. The straits of his New England environment, where tolerance perhaps would have brought destruction, forced him into a narrowness of spirit not in line with the breadth he earlier had shown. We shall come upon painful instances of his turning his back and worse upon friends in distress, but shortcomings of this sort admit of palliation. Modern writers, chief among them Thornton in The Historical Relation of New England to the English Commonwealth, 1874, plausibly maintain that John Cotton was a source and spring from whom flowed independency both in Old and New England, therefore asserting for him a claim to a high place among the great names of the English Commonwealth. Independency, however, did not begin with Cotton, nor do we find in his profession of it some of its finer characteristics. Nevertheless, he had a great part in a most honorable development. Though the prestige of Cotton was shaken by his vacillations and mistakes, it would have been more than human, perhaps, not to have swayed and bent in such a troubled sea. He recovered all he lost and died at the height of influence. His death was accompanied by portents in the heavens, and from that day to this he has stood as one of the earlier pillars. Cotton wrote much, and the modern reader is puzzled to understand how his writings, to our taste often tedious, produced such an effect. He must have possessed extraordinary magnetism and a character in which Puritan strength was somewhat mitigated by traits of amiability. Thomas Hooker now begins his American career, departing soon for Connecticut, and Samuel Stone, equally sturdy in character, if less in the foreground. He plays hereafter a picturesque part as chaplain of John Mason in the Pequot War. John Haynes and Atherton Hugh, men of repute and means, strengthened the plantation. The former soon became governor, but casting in his lot with the Connecticut pioneers appears but for a moment upon the Massachusetts stage. In footnote. Mr. Hooker and Mr. Stone, ministers, and Mr. Pierce, Mr. Haynes, a gentleman of great estate, Mr. Hoff, and many other men of good estates, 
They got out of England with much difficulty, all places being belayed to have taken Mr. Cotton and Mr. Hooker, who had long sought for us to have been brought into the High Commission, but the master being bound to touch at the white, the pursuivants attended there, and in the meantime the said ministers were taken in at the Downs. Mr. Hooker and Mr. Stone went presently to Newtown, where they were to be entertained, and Mr. Cotton stayed at Boston. On Saturday evening the congregation met in their ordinary exercise, and Mr. Cotton, being desired to speak to the question which was of the church, he showed, out of the Canticle six that some churches were as queens, some as concubines, some as damsels, and some as doves, etc. He was then, with his wife, propounded to be admitted a member. The Lord's Day following, he exercised in the afternoon, and being to be admitted, he signified his desire and readiness to make his confession according to order, which he said might be sufficient in declaring his faith about baptism, which he then desired for his child, born in their passage, and therefore named Seaborn. He gave two reasons why he did not baptize it at sea. Not for want of fresh water, for he held, sea water would have served. One, because they had no settled congregation there. Two, because a minister had no power to give the seals but in his own congregation. He desired his wife might also be admitted a member, and gave a modest testimony of her, but withal requested that she might not be put to make an open confession, etc., which he said was against the apostle's rule and not fit for woman's modesty, but that the elders might examine her in private. So she was asked if she did consent to the confession of faith made by her husband, and if she did desire to be admitted, etc. Whereto she answered affirmatively, and so both were admitted, and their child being baptized, the father presenting it, the child's baptism being, as he did then affirm, in another case, the father's incentive for the help of his faith, etc., the said fourth of September came in also the ship called the Bird, Mr. Yates' master. She brought blank passengers, having lost blank, and blank cows, having lost blank, and four mares. She had been twelve weeks at sea, being, at her first coming out, driven northerly to fifty-three. About ten days before this time a bark was set forth to Connecticut and to those parts to trade. John Oldham and three with him went over land to Connecticut to trade. The Satcham used them kindly and gave them some beaver they brought of the hemp which grows there in great abundance and is much better than the english he accounted it to be about one hundred and sixty miles he brought some black lead whereof the indians told him there was a whole rock he lodged the indian towns all the way twelfth captain john stone of whom mention is made before carried himself very dissolutely in drawing company to drink etc and being found upon the bed in the night with one barcraft's wife he was brought before the governor etc and though it appeared he was in drink, and no act to be proved, yet it was thought fit that he should abide his trial, for which end warrant was sent out to stay his pinnace, which was ready to set sail. Whereupon he went to Mr. Ludlow, one of the assistants, and used braving and threatening speeches against him, for which he raised some company and apprehended him, and brought him to the governor, who put him in irons, and kept a guard upon him till the court, but his irons were taken off the same day. At the court his indictment was framed for adultery, but found ignoramus by the great jury. But, for his other misdemeanors, he was fined a hundred pounds, which yet was not levied of him, and ordered upon pain of death to come here no more without license of the court, and the woman was bound to her good behavior. Seventeenth. The governor and council met at Boston, and called the ministers and elders of all the churches to consider about Mr. Cotton his sitting down. He was desired to diverse places, and those who came with him desired that he might sit down where they might keep store of cattle, 
but it was agreed by full consent that the fittest place for him was Boston, and in that respect those of Boston might take farms in any part of the bay not belonging to other towns, and that, keeping a lecture, he should have some maintenance out of the treasury. But the first of the council, upon their second thoughts, did after refuse this contribution. October 2nd. The bark blessing which was sent to the southward returned. She had been at an island over against Connecticut, called Long Island, because it is near fifty leagues long, the east part about ten leagues from the main, but the west end not a mile. There they had store of the best wampum peak, both white and blue. The Indians there are very treacherous people. They have many canoes so great as one will carry eighty men. They were also in the river of Connecticut, which is barred at the entrance, so as they could not find above one fathom of water. They were also at the Dutch plantation upon Hudson's River, called New Netherlands, where they were very kindly entertained, and had some beaver and other things for such commodities as they put off. They showed the governor, called Walter Van Twilly, footnote, Walter Van Twiller, in footnote, their commission, which was to signify to them that the king of england had granted the river and the country of connecticut to his own subjects and therefore desired them to forbear to build there etc the dutch governor wrote back to our governor his letter was very courteous and respectful as it had been to a very honorable person whereby he signified that the lords the states had also granted the same parts to the west india company and therefore requested that we would forbear the same till the matter was decided between the king of england and the said lords the said bark did pass and repass over the shoals of Cape Cod, about three or four leagues from Nantucket Isle, where the breaches are very terrible, yet they had three fathom water all over. The company of Plymouth sent a bark to Connecticut at this time to erect a trading house there. When they came, they found the Dutch had built there, and did forbid the Plymouth men to proceed, but they set up their house notwithstanding about a mile above the Dutch. This river runs so far northward that it comes within a day's journey of a part of Merrimack called Blank and so runs thence northwest so near the great lake as allows the indians to pass their canoes into it over land from this lake and the hideous swamps about it comes most of the beaver which is traded between virginia and canada which runs forth of this lake and potomac river in virginia comes likewise out of it or very near so as from this lake there comes yearly to the dutch about ten thousand skins which might easily be diverted by merrimack if a course of trade were settled above in that river footnote Winthrop's geography, based on Indian reports imperfectly understood, is naturally confused in footnote. The tenth. A fast was kept at Boston, and Mr. Leverett, footnote, Thomas Leverett, father of John Leverett, eminent in the next generation, in footnote, an ancient, sincere professor of Mr. Cotton's congregation in England, was chosen a ruling elder, and Mr. Furman, a godly man, an apothecary of Sudbury in England, was chosen deacon by imposition of hands, and Mr. Cotton was then chosen teacher of the congregation of Boston, and ordained by imposition of the hands of the presbytery in this manner. First, he was chosen by all the congregation testifying their consent by erection of hands. Then Mr. Wilson, the pastor, demanded of him if he did accept of that call. He paused and then spake to this effect, that howsoever he knew himself unworthy and unsufficient for that place, yet having observed all the passages of God's providence, which he reckoned up in particular, and calling him to it, he could not but accept it. Then the pastor and the two elders laid their hands upon his head, and the pastor prayed, and then, taking off their hands, laid them on again, and speaking to him by his name, they did thenceforth design him to the said office in the name of the Holy Ghost, and did give him the charge of the congregation, and did thereby as a sign from God, 
endue him with the gifts fit for his office, and lastly, did bless him. Then the neighboring ministers, which were present, did, at the pastor's motion, give him the right hands of fellowship, and the pastor made a stipulation between him and the congregation. When Mr. Cotton accepted of the office, he commended to the congregation such as were to come over, who were of his charge in England, that they might be comfortably provided for. The next day, Mr. Grant and the ship James arrived at Salem, having been but eight weeks between Gravesend and Salem. He brought Captain Wigan and about thirty with one Mr. Leverage, a godly minister, to Pascataquack, which the Lord Say and the Lord Brooke had purchased of the Bristol men, and about thirty for Virginia, and about twenty for this place, and some sixty cattle. He brought news that the Richard, a bark of fifty tons, which came forth with the Griffin, being come above three hundred leagues, sprang such a leak as she was forced to bear up and was put in at Weymouth. Eleventh, a fast at Newton, where Mr. Hooker was chosen pastor and Mr. Stone teacher, in such a manner as before at Boston. The wolves continued to do much hurt among our cattle, and this month, by Mr. Grant, there came over four English greyhounds, which were sent by the governor by Mr. Downing, his brother-in-law. November, a great mortality among the Indians. Chickatabot, the Sagamore of Nepasat, died, and many of his people. The disease was the smallpox. Some of them were cured by such means as they had from us. Many of their children escaped and were kept by the English. Captain Wigan of Pascataquack wrote to the governor that one of his people had stabbed another and desired he might be tried in the bay if the party died. The governor answered that if Pascataquack lay within their limits, as it was supposed, they would try him. A small ship of about 60 tons was built at Medford and called the Rebecca. This year a water mill was built at Roxbury by Mr. Dummer. The scarcity of workmen had caused them to raise their wages to an excessive rate, so as a carpenter would have three shillings the day, a laborer two shillings and sixpence, etc., and accordingly those who had commodities to sell advanced their prices sometimes doubled to what they cost in England, so as it grew to a general complaint which the court, taking knowledge of, as also of some further evils which were springing out of the excessive rates of wages, they made an order that carpenters, masons, etc., should take but two shillings the day, and laborers but eighteen pence, and that no commodity should be sold at above four pence in the shilling more than it costs for ready money in England. Oil, wine, etc., and cheese, in regard of the hazard of bringing, etc., accepted. The evils which were springing, etc., were, one, many spent much time idly, etc., because they could get as much in four days as would keep them a week. Two, they spent much in tobacco and strong waters, etc., which was a great waste to the commonwealth, which, by reason of so many foreign commodities expended, could not have subsisted to this time, but that it was supplied by the cattle and corn, which were sold to newcomers at very dear rates, viz., corn at six shillings the bushel, a cow at twenty pounds, yea, some at twenty-four pounds, some twenty-six pounds, a mare at thirty-five pounds, a ewe goat at three or four pounds, and yet many cattle were every year brought out of England, and some from Virginia. Soon after order was taken for prices of commodities fees, not to exceed the rate of four pence in the shilling above the price in England except cheese and liquors, etc. The ministers in the bay in Sagus did meet, once a fortnight, at one of their houses by course, where some question of moment was debated. Mr. Skelton, the pastor of Salem, and Mr. Williams, footnote, Roger Williams here enters upon his career of criticism and dissent, in footnote, who was reserved from Plymouth thither, but not in any office, though he exercised by way of prophecy, took some exception against it, as fearing it might grow in time to a presbytery or superintendency to the prejudice of the church's liberties. 
but this fear was without cause for they were all clear in that point that no per church or person can have power over another church neither did they in their meetings exercise any such jurisdiction etc news of the taking of machius by the french mr allerton of plymouth and some others had set up a trading wigwam there and left it in five men in store of commodities latour governor of the french in those parts making claim to the place came to supplant them and finding resistance killed two of the men and carried away the other three and the goods some differences fell out still now and then between the governor and the deputy which yet were soon healed it had been ordered in court that all hands should help to the furnishing of the fort at boston and all the towns of the bay had gone once over and most the second time but those of newtown being warned the deputy would not suffer them to come neither did acquaint the governor with the cause which was for that salem and sagus had not brought in money for their parts the governor hearing of it wrote friendly to him showing him that the intent of the court was that the work should be done by those in the bay and that after the others should pay a proportionable sum for the house etc which must be done by money and therefore desired him that he would send in his neighbors upon this mr haynes and mr hooker came to the governor to treat with him about it and brought a letter from the deputy full of bitterness and resolution not to send till salem etc the governor told them it should rest till the court and withal gave the letter to mr hooker with a speech i am not willing to keep such an occasion of provocation by me and soon after he wrote to the deputy who had before desired to buy a fat hog or two of him being somewhat short of provisions to desire him to send one which he would have sent him if he had known when his occasion would have been made use of it and to accept it as a testimony of his goodwill and lest he should make any scruple of it he made mr haynes and mr hooker who both sojourned in his house partakers with him upon this the deputy returned this answer your overcoming yourself hath overcome me mr haynes mr hooker and myself do most kindly accept your goodwill but we desire without offence to refuse your offer that i may only trade with you for two hogs and so very lovingly concluded the court being two days after ordered that newtown should do their work as others had done and then salem etc should pay for three days at eighteen pence a man eleventh the congregation of boston met to take order of mr cotton's passage and house and his and mr wilson's maintenance mr cotton had dispersed eighty pounds for his passage and towards his house which he would not have again so there was about sixty pounds raised by voluntary contributions towards the finishing of his house and about a hundred pounds towards their maintenance at this meeting there arose some difference between the governor and mr coddington who charged the governor that he took away the liberty of the rest because at the request of the rest he had named some men to set out men's lands etc which grew to some heat of words but the next lord's day they both acknowledged openly their failing and declared that they had been reconciled the next day twenty six mr wilson by leave of the congregation of boston whereof he was pastor went to agawam to teach the people of that plantation because they had yet no minister whilst he was there december fourth there fell such a snow knee-deep as he could not come back for blank days and a boat which went thither was frozen up in the river december fifth john sagamore died of the smallpox and almost all his people above thirty buried by mr maverick of winnemisset the same in one day the towns in the bay took away many of the children but most of them died soon after james sagamore of sagas also died and most of his folks john sagamore desired to be brought among the english so he was and promised if he recovered to live with the english and serve their god 
he left one son which he disposed to mr wilson the pastor of boston to be brought up by him he gave to the governor a good quantity of wampanoag peg and to diverse others of english he gave gifts and took order for the payment of his own debts and his men's he died in a persuasion that he should go to the englishman's god diverse of them in their sickness confessed that the englishman's god was a good god and that if they recovered they would serve him it wrought much with them that when their own people forsook them yet the english came daily and ministered to them and yet few only two families took any infection by it among others mr maverick footnote this estimable man was on account of his episcopal leanings looked upon askance in the community where though recognized as a man of, of substance and worth he was given no public place an evidence of the puritan bitterness exists in the fact that winthrop or some successor has in the manuscript drawn a pen through the word perpetual in the tribute to his humanity in footnote of winnemesat is worthy of her perpetual remembrance himself his wife and servants went daily to them ministered to their necessities and buried their dead and took home many of their children so did other of their neighbors this infectious disease spread to pascataquack where all the indians except one or two died one cowper of pascataquack going to an island upon the lord's day to fetch some sack to be drank at the great house he and a boy coming back in a canoe being both drunk were driven to sea and never heard of after at the same plantation a company having made a fire at a tree one of them said here this tree will fall and here will i lie and accordingly it fell upon him and killed him it pleased the lord to give special testimony of his presence in the church at boston after mr cotton was called to office there more were converted and added to that church than to all the other churches in the bay or rather the lake for so it were more properly termed the bay being that part of sea without between the two capes cape cod and cape ann diverse profane and notorious evil persons came and confessed their sins and were comfortably received into the bosom of the church yea the lord gave witness to the exercise of prophecy so as thereby some were converted and others much edified also the lord pleased greatly to bless the practice of discipline wherein he gave the pastor mr wilson a singular gift to the great benefit of the church after much deliberation and serious advice the lord directed the teacher mr cotton to make it clear by the scriptures that the minister's maintenance as well as all other charges of the church should be defrayed out of a stock or treasury which was to be raised out of the weekly contribution which accordingly was agreed upon twenty seventh the governor and assistants met at boston and took into consideration a treatise which mr williams then of salem had sent to them and which he had formerly written to the governor and council of plymouth wherein among other things he disputes their right to the lands they possessed here and concluded that claiming by the king's grant they could have no title nor otherwise except they compounded with the natives footnote a just and generous assertion of indian rights in footnote for this taking advice with some of the most judicious ministers who much condemned mr williams error and presumption they gave order that he should be convicted at the next court to be censured etc there were three passages chiefly whereat they were much offended one for that he chargeth king james to have told a solemn public lie because in his patent he blessed god that he was the first christian prince that had discovered this land two for that he chargeth him and others with blasphemy for calling europe christendom or the christian world three for that he did personally apply to our present king charles these three places in the revelations viz blank mr endicott being absent 
The governor wrote to him to let him know what was done, and withal added diverse arguments to confute the said heirs, wishing him to deal with Mr. Williams to retract the same, etc., whereto he returned a very modest and discreet answer. Mr. Williams also wrote to the governor, and also to him and the rest of the council, very submissively, professing his intent to have been only to have written for the private satisfaction of the governor, etc., of Plymouth, without any purpose to have stirred any further in it, if the governor here had not required a copy of him, withal offering his book, or any part of it, to be burnt. At the next court he appeared penitently, and gave satisfaction of his intention and loyalty. So it was left, and nothing done in it. Footnote. Neither the character of Roger Williams, nor the circumstances of the case, as far as we know them, allow us to believe that he abandoned his position. End footnote. End of section 4, 1633.